Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowen Branch and how you can discover this new level of softness with their iconic sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% responded that Bowen Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They source the rarest 100% organic cotton for an incredible softness to start. Then they skip the toxins and harsh chemicals for a natural feel unlike anything else. And it all comes together with their signature weave. This special design feels buttery, breathable, and unlocks new levels of softness with every wash. And they stand behind their promise of softness. With their 30-night guarantee, you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. If during the 30 nights you don't love your sheets or feel them getting softer and softer, you can send them right back, no questions asked. So head to bowlandbranch.com for 15% off your first order with code RESTFUL15. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 142, Peak Performance. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we take apart an episode of Star Trek, pulling pieces from the prologue all the way to the closing credits, searching for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing what, if anything, we can take away. This week, peak performance, or the one where Picard finally fires photons at Worf. Look, I'm not saying he had it coming. I'm saying it can't be the first time Picard thought of it. <laughs> He's got a big brain, dude. He does. He, he thinks of a lot of things. Hey, speaking of yes. thoughts, uh, if you have some, not you, John, because you'll be sharing yours throughout the show. Sure, it's my prerogative. But every you can do what you want to do. Everybody <laughs> else, if you have some thoughts that you would like to share with us, you should. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can. The phone number is 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Everybody's talking all this stuff about that number, by the way. Is that going to stop? Our, uh, our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Not available in all states. Void where prohibited. Winners will be chosen at random. Now it's time for trivia. John... <laughs> Great. Thank you, sir. All right. This week's episode, Peak Performance, was directed by Robert Shearer. This is the second time that we've seen a Shearer-directed episode. The first was Measure of a Man. Interesting to note that he started his career as a dancer and choreographer. Now, it was written by David Kemper. Well, kind of. Kemper gets the credit for the original story and the first draft, Hans Bemler and Richard Manning are uncredited for their contributions, which amounted to a full rewrite. Another person uncredited was Melinda M. Snodgrass, who did extensive rewriting of the rewrite. And uh, we got some more recycling here, as always. Uh, my beloved Battle Bridge, Ken, which was Kirk's Bridge, then the Battle Bridge of the Enterprise D, then the Bridge of the Stargazer, all those things. It's back. Wait. Yep. I'm sorry, when you say Kirk's Bridge, you're talking uh, movie era, right? Movie, we're talking movie yeah. era. We're not okay. talking, no. No, the TOS Bridge, if we didn't cover that a couple of years ago, uh, the TOS Bridge ha- has long since been lost. It was donated to, I believe, UCLA and then thrown out with the trash. Mm. 
Yeah, that's, shame. That's so heartbreaking. I know. I just I just yeah. put a damper on the whole proceedings today. Um, but now we were talking about the Stargazer because the Battle Bridge was used as the Stargazer Bridge in the episode The Battle. Um, it is the same kind of ship as the USS Hathaway, so it is the same model standing in for the USS Hathaway. And in fact, we get the same footage of her being towed by the Enterprise. Now, uh, a handful of very notable guest stars in this episode. Uh, Armin Shimmerman, who we mentioned before, um, it, because he appeared as one of the very first Ferengi on screen in The Last Outpost. He is back, and uh, of course, we will be seeing much more of him in the future. Roy Brocksmith as here as Sirna Kolrami. He is very well known for his distinctive voice. And, and no, he, he's not the same guy from uh, Wolf in the Fold who played Angus. Um, he's not Winnie pro- the Pooh, in other words. He's not. He yeah. is not. Uh, so no, no uh, well, Piglet. No, no, oh, no, Piglet. That's right. Yeah, that's right. No, Sterling, no, Sterling Holloway was, uh, was Winnie yes. the Pooh, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but probably the the role of Roy Brocksmith that, that stuck in my head the most is Doctor Edgemar in Total Recall. Hmm. He who is betrayed by that bead of sweat rolling down his face. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah. And then he got shot by Arnold right in the head. Yeah. Um, he appeared on a few episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Um, it's Gary Shandling's show. He was a regular on Picket Fences. He had a few memorable moments in uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. See, that's, and, that's the one for me. That Really? That's, 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 that's the, the one, one. where where, where, uh, where Bill and Ted possess... Um, yeah, their I think it was Ted's dad. It was, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Uh, Ted's dad's assistant. Right. Uh, who was the guy who played Cole Romney. Now, his very last film credit is for the Gus Van Zandt shot-by-shot remake of Psycho Mm -hmm. in 1998. He did a little bit of TV after that, and he passed away in 2001. Now, probably the guest star that I am most excited about is David L. Lander as one of the Ferengi officers. Lander is best known as Squiggy as in Lenny and Squiggy from <laughs> Vernon Shirley, um, wow. with his partner, Michael McKean. Now, Lander and McKean had created the characters when they were in school together at Carnegie Mellon and were hired together for Laverne and Shirley. They were breakout stars. They cut an album in 1979 along with the very talented guitarist, Nigel Tufnell. Um, Lander has acted in or provided voice talent for numerous projects over the years. He was the voice of Elvis for a music documentary, and he later did the voice of Jerry Lewis for a filmation cartoon hmm. called Will the Real Jerry Lewis Please Sit Down. Uh, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 1984. He kept it a secret for 15 years, and he revealed all in his book, Fall Down Laughing, How Squiggy Caught Multiple Sclerosis and Didn't Tell Nobody. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, voice work again, really quickly. Uh, yeah. who, who framed Roger Rabbit? He was, oh, one, of the, was, he was uh, one of the weasels in Who Framed oh, Roger oh, Rabbit. Oh, he sure was. He's he one sure of was. Judge Doom's henchmen in Who Framed yeah. Roger Rabbit. Yeah. yeah. Too cool. He's so great. And uh, of course, he was so well known as Squiggy. But then I was always impressed to see him in interviews that he's such a, like Michael McKean, such a thoughtful and intellectual comedian. Um, I, I just think he's fantastic. Um, and he's done such a wide variety of work, but he will always be known for that. 
And um, Ken, you know, there's one more that I think we have to mention. I think you, <laughs> you more so than I, <laughs> you were you were very excited about Glenn Morshower. I would say I more shower than you. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He uh, it, he's this guy, right? Who turns up and you see him and you're like, hey, it's that guy from that thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, they may in fact make a documentary about him one day as that guy from that thing. Um, <laughs> I will say, uh, I think the thing that most impressed me was my very first Star Trek convention. He he was there, and I went and sat through. Uh, uh, sat through. Did I say sat through? I meant you enjoyed. Did. I meant enjoyed yes. the karaoke thing that they do <laughs> at the at the convention. And and up comes Mr. Glenn Morshower, and he did um, the Buffalo Springfield song, uh, the name of which nobody knows. Uh, for what it's worth, is the name of the song, but right. it's the one that you know. It's the one that goes. Uh, it's time to stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody, look what's going down. He did that song. And, and and I shouldn't say he did that song. He knocked that song out of the park. Wow. Yeah, I wow. know. It's kind of amazing. I was like, wow. So I, I look forward to seeing him in Star Trek someday. And I did not realize. I honestly thought he was in a few more. It turns out with this episode, we've seen 50% of his Star Trek work. <laughs> we sure have. No, it, it's funny. So he plays Burke in this episode. Mm-hmm. And um, he's just been in a ton of other stuff. You know, 24 West Wing Jag. And he usually plays like a, a military or, you know, very professional kind of presence. He was in uh, X-Men First Class. Um, was so, he, uh, yeah. Wait, wait. Was he Mystique? We, he he might have been at one point. Isn't that the whole deal with Mystique? He is not an admiral, nor an ambassador, but there is a guy on the Enterprise from Starfleet headquarters. He could be trouble. Let us find out. Prologue. Shall we play a game? Asked Starfleet of the Enterprise. Yes, it's a War Games reference, and despite not wanting to play, Starfleet's about exploration, not battle, in the captain's estimation. He's met the Borg, and he gets why War Games might be a good exercise. GM for the sessions, the Zakdorn master strategist, Serna Kolrami. Picture a packlet, but more on the ball, and he wants to get straight down to business. On the bridge, Worf's like, I could take Kolrami. Data points out that he may not look like much, but the Zakdorns have had a reputation as the best strategic minds for over 9,000 years. No one dares try them. While a PR person might be blown away by that kind of hype, the warrior Worf is even less impressed. Back in the ready room, Kolrami is going over the rules. The 80-year-old ship, the Hathaway, will square off against the Enterprise. At the Hathaway's helm, William T. Riker. He'll have 48 hours to get the Hathaway into shape, then the Enterprise will attack. Kind of. Weapons will be offline, with visible pulse beams fired in their place. But computers on both sides will keep track of damage and shut down the damaged areas accordingly. On your mark, let's start peak performance. Act 1. Theta will act as Picard's first officer during the games. Otherwise, Riker can pick 40 people he wants for the Hathaway. He grabs Geordi, Worf, Wesley Crusher for some reason, and a bunch of other nameless so-and-sos. Kolrami is rubbing everyone the wrong way. Dr. Pulaski says he needs an attitude adjustment. Behind his back, of course. Data again defends Kolrami's attitude. Self-assured that the Zakdorn art is rarely without reason. Kolrami, for example, is a third-level grandmaster at the game Stratagema. Stratagema, huh? Hey, Riker stinks at that game. And Kolrami is seriously the best ever at it. So Riker challenges him to a game. And Riker loses in less time than it takes to put on the special gloves used to play. 
He knew he was going to lose. Still, it was an honor just to play him. And besides, he learned... Well, it was an honor just to play him. While Riker was getting his gloves on, Data was puzzling over the human need to compete. There are other ways to test oneself. Pulaski thinks Data should challenge Kolrami to a game. Take him down a peg. Data doesn't get it. Act 2. Riker and crew start prepping the Hathaway. What a dump! Worf will be Riker's first officer. Jordy is actually senior, but this is a battle simulation. Worf is Riker's guy for this one. In engineering, Jordy finds more bad news. The Hathaway doesn't have warp drive. Well, it has warp drive, but no antimatter to power it. West comments on the hopelessness of their situation, though Riker reminds him they're there to improvise. Riker calls over to the Enterprise, casually mentioning the seemingly hopeless match that is the Hathaway versus the Enterprise. Kolrami reminds Riker they're there to improvise. How Riker and company will perform when woefully outmatched and outgunned is exactly what Starfleet wants to see. Also, Kolrami will accept Data's challenge to a game of Stratagema, the challenge that Dr. Pulaski actually issued on Data's behalf without Data's knowledge. Data doesn't want to, but Pulaski goads him into it. Worf and Riker are making plans for the games. Worf says, knowing what he knows about Enterprise security, he can trick the bigger ship into thinking there's another ship attacking. That'll draw Picard's attention and give the Hathaway room to scrap. Down in engineering... Oh, crud. Wes just realized that he left an experiment running back on the Enterprise. He has to go back and stop it, or... something. Special dispensation is given to allow it, though he'll be under observation the whole time. It's really sloppy observation, though. He's able to beam a bit of antimatter over to the Hathaway. Act 3. Data and Kolrami are facing off for that anticipated game of Stratagema. It's better than the game between Kolrami and Riker, but not much. And Data loses. Kolrami is the only one who's not surprised. You're supposed to be infallible, says Pulaski. Obviously, says Data, I am not. On the bridge, we find that Data has temporarily removed himself from bridge duty. Fairly oblivious, Kolrami compliments Picard on his crew. Not that they'll have to be that good this time. I mean, they're only fighting Riker. All right, says Picard, that's it. What do you have against Riker? Kolrami says Riker's a little too light-hearted. Seriously, that's it. Picard says Kolrami should not confuse style with substance. Riker is awesome. Best officer with whom Picard has ever served. Whatever, is Kolrami's basic response. In his cabin, Data is running a whole slew of self-diagnostics. He should have been able to beat Kolrami. Counselor Troy tries to snap him out of it, but Data is concerned. This is not ego. This is not disheartening. Something must be wrong with him. But he made no mistakes. But something must be wrong. He'll have this conversation again with Dr. Pulaski, who feels bad about maneuvering Data into playing Stratagema with Kolrami. Data's not sorry, though. Now he knows that something is wrong. He'll need to figure out what and fix it before he can go back to advising the captain. On the Hathaway, Riker finds out about Ensign Crusher's subterfuge aboard the Enterprise... He says Wes cheated. Wes says he improvised. That's good enough for Riker, though they won't have a lot of warp drive. Two seconds, maybe. Just enough to fool the Enterprise. Maybe. Act 4. Counselor Troy and Dr. Pulaski tell Picard about Data's sudden lack of self-confidence. They can't snap him out of it, but they think Picard can. And he does. You think you might screw up? You might screw up. That's... Life. Play through it and get to the bridge. 
At last, the games are underway. Picard leads with a basic maneuver, Riker leads with a basic counter-maneuver, but they also run the feint with Worf's pretend ship. It works. While Picard's attention is diverted, the Hathaway sneaks up behind the Enterprise and fake shoots it. Affected systems will be really offline for 3.6 days as they affect simulated repair. Picard orders Data to change the codes exploited by Worf on the security system. Now, time for the kill. Picard prepares to pretend to blow the Hathaway out of the sky. Riker tells Geordi to get ready with that warp jump. Suddenly, Ferengi warship fast approaching. Data says he changed the codes, per the captain's orders, but Picard figures he just didn't give Worf enough credit. Or at least he does until the actual Ferengi ship actually starts firing on the actual Enterprise. The Enterprise goes to return fire, but remember how systems were locked into pretend weapons mode and pretend repair mode? All the Enterprise can do is take hit after hit and stay between the Hathaway and the Ferengi. Hey, Kolrami has an idea. Let's get out of here. The Hathaway and its crew will have to be sacrificed. Picard says, no. Riker says, eh, Picard really should leave, but that's a non-starter with Picard. Somebody come up with another plan. Hey, the Ferengi have an idea. Hand over the Hathaway. Really weird, Enterprise. You were firing on the Hathaway. Now you're protecting the Hathaway. Must be valuable. And if there's one thing the Ferengi like, it's things of value. BT dubs, we know your ship is crippled and that the Hathaway has nothing in terms of weaponry. You got ten minutes to decide what to do. Ferengi, who looks like Quark, but isn't, out. Data says shields are buster. They won't survive another hit. Kolrami says they're out of options. Retreat or die. Act 5. Not surprisingly, they come up with another plan. Remember Riker's short-term warp jump? What they can do is have the Enterprise turn on the Hathaway and fire a couple of photon torpedoes, which just came back online. The Hathaway can warp for two seconds at that exact moment and not be blown up. If it works, which it might not, what the Ferengi will see is the Enterprise blowing up the Hathaway rather than letting it fall into Ferengi hands, whether the Hathaway just appears to blow up or actually does. Either way, the Ferengi won't win. And it all works perfectly with a little help from another fake ship from Worf. Kolrami admits he was wrong about Riker. Everyone did great. Also, he has a Stratagema rematch with Data. And this time, Kolrami loses. Though, Data doesn't win. He wasn't trying to win. Instead, he was trying to keep Kolrami from winning. Data did not win. But he did bust Kolrami up. The End all right, hypothetically, Ken. Hypothetically, John. <laughs> if uh, if the Enterprise had fired on the Hathaway, yep, and something in the Hathaway didn't work correctly to get them out of there, right? And the Enterprise blew up the Hathaway. <laughs> yes. Okay. How does this go down in the report? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, they had a plan. They had a plan. They had a plan. Said, here, we had, we had this plan, and, and I'm just reporting this to Starfleet now. Um, blow up our own ship. Bad plan or worst plan? Okay, here's the thing, though. I think uh, Kolrami actually would have backed them on it. Remember, he's sort of a representative of Starfleet here. And yeah, I think yeah. he totally would have backed them on that because what's he going to say? Well, I tried to tell them just to leave our technology and our people to the Ferengi, but he didn't want to do that. Yeah. So he shot them instead. So he 
know, I mean, it's exactly it. It's just the worst kind of, you know, what we call friendly fire. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had a plan. I mean, that's the thing. They had a plan. Yeah. Yeah. If it worked, which it did, then, then everything was fine. And luckily, everything was fine. I got. I got. It would have been very unfortunate. I got a bigger problem with this whole thing. What's that? So, so Worf has this idea. Here's my idea. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna fool the Enterprise into thinking that there's a ship, and they're yeah. gonna say, okay, but you know, they're gonna see that there's no ship, and he's like, no, no, they won't, because the computer will go ahead and put a ship up on the screen. What? <laughs> right. What? Okay. Yes. So we don't have yeah. cameras outside the Enterprise. Then we have, we have CGI. Yeah, that really disturbed me quite a lot. You know what it made me think of? What's that? So, so in the cartoon, I can't remember which episode it was, because seriously, I can't remember the name of a real episode. How can I remember the name of a cartoon? <laughs> Except for the Magics of Magus 2 and a couple of others, mm-hmm. or Magus, sure. Magus, whichever. When when they're flying down that, 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 that tunnel of daggers, oh, right? yeah, and Sulu yeah, yeah. is freaking out because he's looking up at the screen and he's seeing a tunnel of daggers... Yeah. Is Sulu tripping or is the Enterprise tripping <laughs> at that point? Sulu may actually have every reason to be afraid because there's no camera on the outside of the Enterprise. There's just the mm. computer looking at stuff outside and going, okay, here's basically what it looks like. Right. Don't worry about it. I will say, though, it is vindication for that time that Picard told um, Guinan to stop looking at that ship out the window and go look at it on a screen. <laughs> right, right. It's what the one on the screen will be prettier. Well, no, the it, one on the screen would actually have maybe some sort of technical readout or something, whereas well, maybe what's she going to believe, uh, you know, her yeah. lying eyes or, or the computer? The computer. I yeah, guess. no, yeah. I, I had a big problem with that because <laughs> you, you have to wonder what the computer has to make up, yeah. you know, in order to... Fill in that image. It, yeah. it was a little. Uh, it was a little weird. Or if they come across something that the computer just doesn't understand, that literally does not compute. Eh, let's, right. leave it, let's leave it out. Let's just leave it out. <laughs> oh, maybe it was like the void when they met Nagila. Maybe there was no void. It was just the computer had no idea what to show them. That is quite possible. You and know? and if the Thulu ever come back, mm-hmm. the computer won't even see it. The Enterprise right. will be swallowed whole by an old one, <laughs> like a really old one that like make the Metarons look like kindergartners, like a like a right. truly old one. <laughs> Because the computer's just like, yeah, that just uh, that makes no sense to me. So I'm just not even going to see that thing right there. Yeah, yeah. And they don't uh, need to see it either. God it is, no, no, apparently. <laughs> um, I, I like uh, Riker's decisions here. You know, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to be in command of another ship during a war game. Yeah, cool. I'll take all the best officers. Right, except for like, Data and Picard. Right, right, right. Yeah, but but it, it wasn't even like. Like picking guys for basketball, where you like go down the line, like okay, well this captain gets that guy, and now this is the next captain's choice. No, it's just Riker says, "I'm going to take chief engineer, chief tactical officer, and uh, we'll just go down the list from there." Yeah, pretty much. Uh, in- interesting that he did not take uh, he did not take Troy. Oh, Troy, yeah, who might have sure. been able to like say uh, the captain seems a little smug right now. Maybe he's got something up his sleeve. They both seemed a little smug. Yeah, well, they they did, but it was it was a game, so who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and speaking of a game, they're playing Battleship. Um, <laughs> I mean, Stratagema. Stratagema. Yeah, but also in the episode by real ships, they're playing Battleship. Um, and, and I wondered if we we're kind of drawing the line between the old exploratory Starfleet and the new military Starfleet because of the Borg threat. Um, and, and I wondered about the people who didn't sign up for that. Hmm. You know, they're like, hey, I'm just uh, I'm a botanist. I, I don't want to fight Borg. You know, I knew uh, honestly, I knew somebody who joined the army in 1990 mm-hmm. because he figured it'd be a good way to pay for college. And he was right. Had he joined the yeah. army in 2000, I think he yeah. would have had a very different feeling about it. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of yeah. interesting. You, yeah. you you say that. 
He may have. Um, I kept thinking about the video game in Never Say Never Again. Do you remember that? Never saw uh, Never Say Never Again. Never. You never, never <laughs> saw Never Say Never Again. Um, I never it, did. It, it's funny. It, it, well, you mentioned war games, and, mm-hmm. and you think about the depiction of video games in movies. And they always have to be cooler than the game that you have at home. Mm-hmm. You know? But now we're pushing 30 years out from that, and they just look limited by the technology that they have. But still fun, still kind of neat. Um, but yeah, in Never Say Never Again, it's Sean Connery's return as James Bond. And not only do they have the the clearly impossible holographic 3D simulation in front of them, yeah. um, but they have things hooked up to their hands, and they get an electric shock if they lose. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, so I wondered if uh, if they were getting that on uh, on the Enterprise too would have made uh, for a much more fun game, and uh, and they kept talking about how this guy was a, a third level grandmaster at at a game, mm-hmm. and, and I wondered if that's how we will in the future measure up people for what they can do. Like gaming is cool, mm-hmm. Ga- gaming is is big now; it's a huge industry now. Yeah. Uh, but will that really be like, you know, if I showed up and, and I showed up for, say, some incredibly important job and, and they were like, well, what are, what are your credentials? Well, I'm amazing at World of Warcraft. <laughs> I can play Asteroid for like an hour. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there are two books that it reminds me of. I mean, it reminds me of Ender's Game, first of all. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, but then it also reminds me of uh, the Ian Banks uh, novel, The Player of Games. Uh, both of which have a similar theme, and so I don't want to say for I don't want to say how they're similar for people who have read one, not the other. Um, I do recommend Player of Games, though. It's actually it's a really fantastic, um, yeah. fantastic, uh, fantastic thing. But yeah, I mean, Stratagema, you get the idea that it, I mean, it's like it's like real high level brain stuff. I mean, everybody expects Data to win because Data is a machine, and it would take a machine to beat this third level Grandmaster. Yeah. I'm actually a little confused. He's the third level Grandmaster, and he's apparently the best ever. Is there yeah. a fourth level, or have we now have we now like topped out? That may just be it. <laughs> no. One, one, two, and three. He's and like a totally uh, total Korami yeah. at this game. They will <laughs> say from, he's Korami level, and then yeah, if somebody's right. ever better, they'll be like, "Well, I guess now we have a fourth level Grandmaster." Sorry, Korami, <laughs> get your things. That might be Data. One day <laughs> it could be. It could be. Have you ever figured out how to win and just not how to not lose? But we'll probably come back to that later, I would guess. We, we might. We might, yeah. Um, for all the times that everyone pays very close attention to the transporter, mm-hmm. nobody paid attention. Oh, uh, see, I was trying to get you to skip the – I was trying to get you to skip this whole thing because oh. we're coming back to that. We'll just do it. Okay. Let's come back yeah. to it. Yeah. Let's come back to it. So um, foreshadowing, everybody, we're going to be talking about Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I thought it was interesting the complaints that uh, that our strategic master has about Riker because I, I wondered if it was really any of his business. You mm-hmm. know, really, all that Korami has to be worried about is can the guy do the job? Can he out strategize his opponent? Mm-hmm. Can he improvise in the moment? Um, but he's sort of complaining like, well, he, he has this very lax management style and he jokes around a lot. And, you know, it was an interesting look at like management style and yeah. office politics, whether it's right or wrong to inspire the people around you by being hardline like Picard or being kind of the the fun guy like Riker yeah. you know, to, to fraternize with and inspire your coworkers that way. Picard actually seems cool with it because he's the one defending Riker and defending Riker's style. I, I guess what I'm wondering is who's writing the report that mentions that so much? 
Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, Captain's Log. Riker told me the funniest story the other day. <laughs> Listen to this. I mean, because otherwise, how, do they, how, like, how does he even know that? Because he says, in reading uh, records about him or reports about him before coming on this mission, mm-hmm. uh, apparently he just goofs off. He's yeah. just like a joker. Oh, I mean, maybe he does his job, but he's always cutting up and making people laugh, and he's a little jocular. And, and who's writing that? Yeah. Well, it had to be his other captain, but... Yeah, but his other captain liked him too, right? I mean, aren't yeah, we? We get apparently. the impression. I mean, he is now second in command on the flagship for the Federation or for the Starfleet. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. So, so nobody apparently was complaining about this. So, how did this guy know? Did yeah. He, did he like access the stand-up comedian? Except the stand-up comedian was working with Data. So even yeah, that, that wasn't working. With yeah, that. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I was very interested in learning. You can just call off bridge duty. And I wonder how many sick days they get. But, I mean, here you are. Not only is Data indispensable to the crew, but he's he's the first officer at that point. And he's just like, yeah, I just, I just took myself off the rotation. Not feeling it. Yeah. Not All feeling right. it today, sorry. Okay, cool. Um, I also thought about whether or not it was a good idea to leave a ship in orbit somewhere mm-hmm. 80 years ago. You know? Um, I, I wondered if they had plans on how to scuttle old technology because it might be valuable to somebody else mm-hmm. uh, and I wondered if that might be a violation of the prime directive in some way even inadvertently like another ship comes along and they oh wow we don't have transporters and we don't have replicators and we don't have these other things that presumably might still work on that ship um, even if some of the systems were offline um, and it, it kind of reminded me of uh, uh, when ships go to the breakers in the Indian Sea, they sort of drive the ship as hard as they can up onto a sandbar. And when the tide goes out, people run out and take things away. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. But uh, so maybe maybe that's the plan. Maybe they just expect that people will take pieces of it. I don't know. This segment of Mission Log brought to you by Stratagema. From the makers of Stratego, Jenga, and Thimbles, Stratagema. It is third level fun. So I really love that moment that you mentioned as kind of a, a PR tactic <laughs> about <laughs> the reputation of the Zakdorn. Because we, we've got two threads in the story about reputation, one, one more obvious than the other. But that, that first one is just kind of a throwaway but it's so good. Uh, Worf makes the most excellent point about the Zaktorn. They have a reputation as the greatest innately strategic minds in the galaxy. But it hasn't been tested in thousands, literally thousands of years. And he says then reputation means nothing. That's kind of great because you, you could do so much with that. You could you could say like, um, I am uh, I'm a cordon bleu trained chef. Mm-hmm. And I am the greatest chef ever. Um, I, I am so incredibly good. Now, I haven't cooked in 10 years, and I'm not going to cook for you now. But I am amazing. Yeah. I, I make the best food you've ever tasted in your life. Um, really, the reputation does mean nothing at that point. Um, as advisors, well, I, I you know, assuming that Starfleet had a good way to pick through all the resumes and decide like, okay, well, these guys will make good advisors. They got a great reputation after all. We haven't mm-hmm. tested it, but yeah. they've got a great reputation, so well, we'll go with them. Well, he is also pretty good at Stratagema. I hear he's actually like like a third level master. He's he's good at a game. So so Ken, <laughs> if I was like 
uh, let, let's say you really needed some life advice. And I yeah. said, I, you know what? I'm I, excellent I, at chess. I'm great at Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, you could tell me then. Yeah. 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 So let me help you. This is, this is not an exact analog, but I'm reminded of, uh, there was a woman I dated uh, years ago who had played golf exactly one time. Mm-hmm. And the reason she played golf exactly one time was because that one time that she played golf, she got a hole in one. Mm-hmm. And she figured there was no point. There was no point in ever playing again because <laughs> probably she wasn't going to get a hole in one next time. So maybe the one time 9,000 plus years ago that the uh, that the uh, Zagdorn actually went to war, they just like yeah. nailed it. They just, like, you know, they, just, <laughs> right. they just killed whoever really quickly. Maybe they had like a slaver weapon or something like that. Right. Oh, yeah. and, so, and so then everybody's like, yeah, do not mess with them. Seriously. No, yeah. they haven't fought in a very, 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 very long time. But that one time they did, oh my God. We were cleaning up planets for days after that. Yeah. You would have to think that the knowledge might have gotten diluted over the years. Because then really at that point, (laughs) we don't know how long does Actorn live. Yeah. But assuming not 9,000 years, um, they might. They're sitting around on their capital going, man, you know, I I wonder if we're actually as good as we think we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You'd have to wonder. So I don't think it's the – it's not a message in the show. It's not really like one of the, the important points of the show. But it was funny to me how sort of like the PR exceeds the reputation. Yes. It, you know, like that was just a funny thing to me that you can use and manipulate perception for your own gain and even let it go to your head quite a bit. Read, which uh, for well, this second it did. Again, I'm not going to ruin this, uh, but read Dune. It all comes back oh, to Dune, yeah. dude. It all comes <laughs> back always. to Dune. Yeah, seriously, the Bene Gesserit have some of the best PR in the galaxy, in the known galaxy. Oh, sure, there may be some corner where there's really great PR guys, like a level four Stratagema player who can actually (laughs) do a little bit more PR stuff. Well, Picard here is making some big assumptions about Riker's abilities. Mm -hmm. You know, Riker is the guy who turned down command. And and now Riker does a very good job at doing Riker things, uh, (laughs) but, but is he really a worthy foe of Picard's in a battle? simulation i mean uh, okay Riker reassembled the enterprise manually mm-hmm. um, but has Riker really been put to the test as a strategic mind yet yeah because picard is just so he's, he's like I, I don't think we've ever heard picard say anything this good about Riker ever yeah in the entire history of our two seasons so far best officer with whom he's ever served was a little ever. surprising that was a little that was a surprising thing to hear Mm-hmm. But, you know, just because we haven't seen that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a certain je ne sais quoi that Jean-Luc is, you know, tuned into that we're not. All right. I'll, I'll go with uh, Riker having very good PR as well. Oh, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Except, of course, you know, well, maybe. I mean, maybe that's part of the whole, wow, he passed up command of that ship. That ship's not good enough for him. <laughs> maybe. Wow. He maybe. must be. Yeah, maybe yeah. so. I liked, um, I liked what happened with Worf. Worf, who is fairly honor-bound, fairly duty-bound, he can be fairly org chart, you know, unless there's something he wants to shoot, in which case that's open for discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that when he was named uh, second-in-command, Riker's like, yeah, you're, you're, my, you're my number one guy. And, 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 and Worf's like, no, 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 Jordy, because Jordy's, Jordy's actually, it, it's his turn. He's next in line. And Riker's like, no, it's you. I mean, it's it's it's. I, I like I like the learning moments for a wharf because you generally speaking don't have to hit him over the head with it. You just say, "Look, here's why." He's like, "Okay, cool, that's fine." But do you think though? 
I wonder if that was a little bit out of character for him, though, because I, I love their conversation. I, mm-hmm. I love Riker convincing Worf to, mm-hmm. to come on board with them. But I wouldn't think that he would have to sell it quite that hard because just saying, OK, that this is a battle, even if it's a simulation, this is a battle and you're going to be the first officer. You're, you're the most important guy to sit in this seat next to me. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I would think that would be enough for Worf. Hey, cool! It's a battle, and I get to do battle things. Great. No, I think he's all. I think he's largely about protocol. I don't think he's entirely about protocol, but he is largely about it. I mean, witness the fact that he is the security chief on the Enterprise. He is not the first officer. Yeah. So Jordy yeah, yeah, yeah. would be the guy who would logically be first officer because he's next in line for command. And 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 Worf could still stand behind him and go uh, shoot that thing. No, okay. I'm sorry. Don't shoot that thing. I know. I say that all the time, but really, no. I mean, I I, I like the fact that you know that he there's. A, I mean, one of the messages. And I don't want to jump to the end, but one of the messages seems to be that nothing is exactly as it seems, or, mm-hmm. or you, that you shouldn't just get caught up in thinking that things are a certain way. Worf mm-hmm. does that. He knows that on this ship, he's third in command or second in command, third in command. Jordy would be second. And of course, Riker's number one. Ha <laughs> ha. Hey, <good. laughs> so, yeah. so I mean, so and he has to sort of be shaken from that thinking. No, you're my first officer because honestly, it's going to be more important for you to be to be there. Now, why it's more important for him to be there this time when on the Enterprise he's actually what fourth? Right. I think it goes At Picard, least. Riker. Well, actually, and then the well, Jordi, right? Yeah. Well, no, there's Picard, Riker, Data. Then I guess Jordy, and then I guess Worf. Yeah. Told me it's kind of weird. He gets elevated rather quickly. I got yeah. to say, I'm a huge fan of like the feints and the subterfuge and all the stuff through this episode, though some of them were goofy. Um, <laughs> the thing with Crusher uh, just should not have worked. And I like the fact that he thought of it. I like the fact that he tried it, but I hated the fact that it worked. Yeah. Um, you were talking about our friend Mr. Burke, a.k.a. Uh, Mr. Warshower, earlier. Um, a.k.a. the just the worst security detail it's like he had to go to the bathroom ever. it's like yeah. they were sneaking porn out of his dad's <laughs> like, dresser drawer or something because he keeps looking down the hall like they're going to be caught doing something he's right. been ordered by his captain to watch wesley mm-hmm. and he doesn't he watches wesley steal stuff and take it away he i mean just and and that part uh, really kind of bothered me now i'm not sure if this is bad writing or if it's an example of just how we don't really pay attention to kids and I will say that that actually stuck out with me because um, from the poor, pitiful me file, I remember one day in particular trying to get my grandmother's attention. I was probably like 12 or 13 years old, I would guess. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to talk to her about something and she ignored me. And, eh, you know, it's fine because I'm a kid. I'm like 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Except um, I said something to my little brother who's like 10 years younger than me uh, that she didn't like. And she heard that and she was mm-hmm. on it. And, and so it's sort of like, okay, well, this kid is really it, – it's, it's like this whole, like, we're just not going to pay attention to kids thing is honestly what, what stuck out to me just because of my own stuff. Now, maybe it's just honestly bad writing in this case. Right. I can't imagine, though, had it been Riker that's like, you know, called uh, – Enterprise, I think I left my curling iron on, and I need to come <laughs> over and, and turn it off. My beard trimmer uh, is yeah. in the charger, and it might catch fire because there's a lot of errant beard hair in there. So right. I need to come over and turn that off. Had Riker convinced them, let me back on the Enterprise, there would have been a security detail around him. Mm-hmm. But, but this kid mm-hmm. is, is, is being uh, is, is ignored. 
as it so, goes. Let's think about how this played out then in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. All right, so so all of this has happened. They got rid of the Ferengi. Finally, they they're finished with their war games, right? And, and they have to write the report yeah. of all of this stuff. Yes. And Picard is typing away on his uh, laptop, and he says, "Okay, so uh, we got to the Hathaway, and the Hathaway was totally disabled, um, but we beamed over this crew, and then the sneaky kid came back. Um, but I thought he wasn't going to be able to get anything of use." off the Enterprise because I assigned a secure... Hey, wait a minute. Who did I assign to watch him? Okay, Burke, <laughs> you're terrible at your job. Yes. So, Burke, I no, you do not get to stand behind the horseshoe on the bridge anymore. Uh, you're going to be peeling potatoes with Ken and John stand uh, because you cannot be trusted. Stand yeah. behind the horseshoe. I like that very much. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you just... It, so, so uh, the other thing that um, uh, Wesley's little faint reminded me of? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, stealing TVs from Walmart. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. I never did this. I never did this, but okay. I did I did know somebody who worked in loss prevention at a big box retailer. I want to say that she told me it was Walmart. I believe it was Walmart because you can get everything at Walmart, right? Sure. You you can uh like just buy a candy bar at Walmart. Mm-hmm. And the story that I have heard is there was a time and you can't do this today. And even if you think you can, stealing is bad, kids. Don't do it. Right. Um, but one of the one of the one of the losses that they eventually learned to prevent was somebody would come in, they'd buy a candy bar, they'd ask for a receipt for the candy bar, they'd walk back to electronics, they would pick up a television, which is far too heavy to like stop and like show somebody a receipt. So they just keep the receipt in their hand and kind of wave it at the person as they're walking out with a television, <laughs> for which they paid sixty cents. Um, yeah, that's, that's what Wes's thing reminded me of. Like, oh, oh, this is bad. I'm going to throw it away. And, you know, don't watch me throw it away. Don't see where I'm sending it. Don't even, I'll just, I'll just beam it. Don't worry. It's all good. It yeah, reminded no, me of that. I'm not saying, I mean, there's no correlation. I just love that story. Every, every now and then, every time yeah. I walk into one of those stores, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's 60 cent television. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's try it. Well, again, nobody bothered to check the transporter log. Yep. Nobody bothered to check where the coordinates actually were. Yep. And nobody, including Burke, thought to say, like, uh, hey, kid, why do you have a bunch of antimatter <laughs> in the closet? Well, in you fairness, know? he only had a little antimatter. But, yeah, I, I know the yeah. traveler. I know the specialness. I know youngest uh-huh. whatever thing on the thing. But, yeah, really, should he have antimatter yeah. in a hamster ball? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here is this is right behind my phaser rifle and my, you know. Sorry, let me just get that out of the way. So nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And now we kind of have to talk about Data's crisis. Okay. Um, he a few times he's had some kind of you know blatantly emotional reaction to something, and then follows that up by reminding everybody that he's an android and doesn't have emotions. Okay. Um, but he, he's got the blues here. Because mm. he messes up, and he can, he goes into what can only be described as a as a deep robot funk. Uh, copyright nineteen seventy eight Parliament Funkadelic. Gotta have that um, funk. Yeah, yeah, giving up the <laughs> funk. Um, and he has to be reasoned out of his funk. And, yeah. and is it really that debilitating? Or uh, he's an android. Can't he just throw a switch? You know, it was a lot easier. Do you remember when Spock said he had to guess in Star Trek Four? He didn't know the exact calculations. Mm-hmm. to uh to get them back and uh and mccoy reminded him hey your your guess is better than most people's facts the, the captain was going to have more confidence in your guess than anybody else's facts and and i feel like data should know that already about himself you know it, 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 it's interesting that he sees it as a flaw mm-hmm. 
but it's also interesting that it takes three people to go to him. And even the third person who is the captain just basically says, I don't care. Um, this is your duty, so make this happen. They didn't actually solve the problem. Well, they didn't they solve the problem, and they literally told him to get over it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and the thing, I think, I think where light dawns on on the Silicon Head is um, is when he says that's life, because of course that's that's always going to hit data where it, where he lives, or well, not where he lives, but where he hopes to live one day. Sure, is yeah. to say, look, this stuff happens. I honestly, the first time I watched it, I thought that he had said something about that's being human, mm-hmm. but what he actually said was that's life. I would I would honestly disagree with you that data is down. I think data really? is I think data is caught in a logic loop. But as Pulaski, I believe I can't remember if it's Pulaski or Troy, but as one of them said uh, to Picard, it doesn't matter if he's down or if he's running just a endless loop of self diagnostics. It's got the same effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he is convinced now that something is wrong. And again, this kind of goes back to the PR thing. He believed the part. Pulaski says that she thought data was infallible. First of all, she's come a long way over season two (laughs) in in her estimation of data. But here's the thing. Data was like, yeah, right? I I thought I was infallible, and look at that. Now, it turns out, I mean, when we get to the end and he says, I wasn't trying to beat Korami. I was just trying not to lose to him. I was just trying to keep him from winning, which is a very different thing. Um, It's almost like uh, Data uh, bought his own hype, but then he's not like – I don't think he's crestfallen at that point. It's just he has – whether Sung programmed him to believe that he was perfect or whether he's just heard enough people say it that it finally kicked in somewhere in his you know, pathways mm-hmm. that he is, in fact, perfect. Well, now he's not perfect, and he knows now that he's not perfect. And the problem is he's labored under the conception that he is. He's labored under the conception that his decision will be right. Remember the one where there were three of them? Uh, 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 was it Graves World? It wasn't Graves World. It was Graves World, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a problem in the lab, and the one in the middle is like, oh, it's me. And the other two are right. like, well, of course it's you, because you say, and you're always right. Right, <laughs> right? right. So yeah. all of a sudden, he's, he's faced with this possibility, hey, this thing that I always knew to be true is not true. And now I have no idea what's true. I mean, it still reads as a funk. It still reads as an emotional reaction, as Pulaski said, but... I, I don't know that I don't know that we can say for certain that that's what it was, even though I'm, the result is the same. I'm really glad we got this far with Pulaski mm-hmm. because th- this is a different you know whether it was intentional or not, we actually got a character arc out of Pulaski mm-hmm. um, or or at least hints of it yeah. um, and and not not saying whether she'll be back again oh i'm very much looking forward to seeing what happens with her in season three and season four and good good i'm right there with you ken yeah um but yeah you know she she has softened up to data or or at least has a, a profoundly different understanding of data and mm-hmm. what he has to contribute and maybe what some of his problems are and goes to bat for him so um, she's actually come to appreciate him in a way, which is an interesting yeah. if she's an analog for how, you know, we're going to deal with technology. Uh, mm-hmm. Then that makes her. Um, yeah, that, that that makes actually her her arc, as you say, um, uh, very helpful to the viewer. Young Ensign Crusher taught me a valuable lesson this week. Children lie. Let us see what other lessons Ken and John took away. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. Two in a okay. row. Okay. Two in yeah. a row, right? All right. Yeah. Don't, don't you think? 
Yeah, just a hold up. Yeah, this, this, yeah. this is that part of the show where we where we try to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings, whether or not the whole thing stands the test of time, whether the episode holds up, all that stuff. Uh, last week is last week. I can't remember what show it was, John. I remember we liked it a lot. The Emissary, yeah. yes. The okay, so we liked The Emissary, and then this week, peak performance, uh, dare I do the mover reviewer thing and say, it seems that TNG has finally hit peak performance, too. Oh! Yes, oh. I know. Yeah. Wow. I, it, well it, it felt good. It felt good. It went, but let me ask you, mm-hmm. did this episode hold up? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, my answer was way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go with way, I'll go with totally. Yeah. And we'll let the people who are playing the home version type that into their spreadsheets. Somebody say tubular, please. Somebody say tubular. <laughs> um, there were things at the beginning that annoyed me with this episode. I thought that Kolrami, because I love that actor, mm-hmm. um, but the way that he was played, uh, you know, walking around behind Riker and kind of you know, like sniffing at the air and rolling his eyes at everything, mm-hmm. um, I, I thought, wow, this is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But, but uh, he had a lot to do and, and it wasn't just all smug all the time. Mm-hmm. He was kind of just, he was a, a much more fleshed out version of the worst boss you could have or the worst consultant you could have. Or as we saw in the original series, when you have visiting commodores and admirals, they're mm-hmm. just terrible to deal with. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking about that because because there are some lines that he delivers that I'm like he is so in that character, and even if yeah, you don't like yeah. the character, he's acting it great because he's got this. I don't even know. I mean, like, there were occasional hisses, but they weren't bad hisses, and they weren't right. all affected. Right. I mean, I mean, this is that is how Kolrami is. That's how yeah. that character is it's not even like okay well this actor has to be over the top or he has to be outrageous or he has to be you know uh, he has to have a twitch or something like that he this actor uh, understood that character and even if it was somebody who would like you know kill you to be in a room with i could Mm -hmm. see that guy in a room yeah so i mean i get what you're saying i mean if it had been sort of an over-the-top portrayal as a lot of times the i don't even want to go so far as to say foil but the guest star of the week you know can be uh, he wasn't that. He it, me, annoying, yes, but not, but not affected in a way. Well, it, at first he was. I, I think when you start out the show the way he was in his body language, it did feel affected to me. But, but it worked. Like it, it finally all clicked and, and it came together. You know, it, it's funny. We have received more than a few emails and comments from people who have speculated that uh, the reason Star Trek has such a problem with admirals and commodores and people in a higher authority than the ship captain is is kind of like, um, and you could place it on Gene Roddenberry, you could place it on any of the other producers or a producer or director of any show. Um, it's kind of like them thumbing their nose at the network brass. Mm. You know, that, that these guys show up on set and they have no idea what they're doing and what they have to contribute is useless and not creative and, uh, <laughs> you know, better, better thrown out. And he's sort of cut from that same cloth. It's sort of like when you're at work and you get a visit from corporate and you're like, oh, <laughs> they're just, they're saying the words, but they don't get it yeah. at all. You know? Um, so, yeah. I, it, so there's that. There, there's the Kolrami plot, but then there's the actual war game plot and there's, I, I feel like the Ferengi is kind of, it, it's so last minute and there's so little of it. I was actually just more interested in the process of 
Riker putting his team together and what they were going to do and how this would play out that I thought all of that stuff worked fine on its own. Even the the last little bit with the Fringy was just like, <laughs> here's us being clever and outsmarting you. Well, you have to get I mean, you have to get them in real danger to get them out. Yeah. I yeah. mean, because, you know, otherwise it's just a war game. Yeah. And that might have that might have been interesting. That might have been interesting. But then mm. there's the whole question of, I mean, like you talked about the fact. So when he writes up the report, having blown up the Hathaway, <laughs> if he actually had, I mean, I mean, there there is real danger there. Yeah. Of course, there's not real danger there because I think it would have been all over Starlog that wow, half the cast of <laughs> Star Trek: The Next Generation is leaving. Can you imagine? Huh. Who'd have thought? And yet, Pulaski's yeah. not on the Hathaway. Interesting. Right. Interesting. Yes. Um, what about messages and those kinds of things? Well, yeah, there's a few. I mean, I go to Kalrami and, and I think about the visit from corporate and you just think, you know, definitely don't be that guy mm-hmm. at the office. Don't don't be so smug. Don't assume that you are there to tell people how to do their jobs. Um, Kalrami, Kalrami was forced into the position of having to learn from the people that he was there to observe. And that's always a good tactic. You know, stick that in your stratagemma. Um, that, that you, you can't walk into a new situation and assume that you know what's best. I don't know. Um, 9,000 years, dude. Yeah. 9,000 years of strategy. Yeah. But, you know, the other side of that is there's definitely some satisfaction in defeating the smug jerk at the end. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of terrible, though. I, I, I was a little bit with Data on that. Like, we don't have to compete to, to, to have our own, uh, you know, to, to be validated. Well, maybe there's a valuable lesson, though, for Kohlrami in that, you know? Why? He wasn't walking around challenging people to Stratagema. No, but to, to know that he isn't perfect, that he can be taken down a notch. Wow. You know? Data, data, I don't want to say that Data cheated because Data did not cheat. Data um, had a new strategy. That, that's the name of the game. Well, that's not the name of the game. The name of the game is Stratagema, first of all. But, I mean, the name of the game is to win a game. I hate playing against people who are just trying to keep you from winning. Yeah. It yeah. makes me nuts. I mean, because that, that really does – what did he say? That you, he had made a mockery of the game or something like that? Well, he did because all he was there to do was to, to get a stalemate. And, yes, there are reasons that you might want to do that. I understand that's, that's part of gameplay. Personally, I'd rather, I would rather lose honorably or win honorably than just keep someone else from winning because it comes out like sour grapes. But Sometimes, Ken, the only winning move is not to play. <laughs> oh, and mm-hmm. it comes full circle, except we're yeah. not done. Um, what else? Uh, what else? Well, I, mean, I would say that some of, the, some of the messages might be like, you know, don't make assumptions. Uh, don't mm-hmm. get caught up too much in deciding how things uh, are or how things should be. Kohlrami had absolutely no use for Riker. And, of course, Riker ends up, you know, showing real brass, but then also, you know, uh, saving the day in part. Uh, you got to be open to different options. Kohlrami again. I mean, it's kind of funny that, oh, these people, 9,000 years of strategy and his big strategy is, ah, leave them. <laughs> right, it, right. It's a reasonable sacrifice. No, really, you'll thank me later when they're yeah. dead and we're fine. Um, and yet they were kind of like what Worf was telling the emissary last week, what, what Worf was telling Kalar mm-hmm. last week. His time on the Enterprise has taught him that there are always options or that there are always uh, different ways to do things. Yeah. Um, this is a lesson that Kohlrami uh, ends up learning as well. Now, I don't know that, I don't know that it's going to change Kohlrami. I mean, I think next time that he's got 40,000 people in a lifeboat. And there's a sea monster coming. He's going to, like, you know, crank the motor and run away and leave the lifeboat there for the sea monster to eat them. But, you know, at least he did have to face the possibility that uh, 
that everything that he had decided was not necessarily the case. Yeah. There was one of those gem lines in this episode um, when Picard is trying to snap data out of his uh, self-diagnostic loop. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not weakness. That is life. I like that. I mean, because you can go over and go over and go over something that went wrong and try to figure out where you went wrong, and maybe you didn't. It did. And that's, you know, it's, it's it's a good thing to learn, especially for people who, um, you know, assume that they did something. If something did not go as planned or if something went terribly wrong, then the assumption is that they did something. And, you know, oftentimes they did, but maybe, you know, other times there aren't, and you just gotta, you kind of got to let it go and play through, like I said earlier. Yeah, I mean, I think we were both struck by that one. That seems to be the, the biggest kind of most obvious thing within the script of this show. Yeah. And, and there, are, there are maybe a couple of outcomes of that. I mean, like you said before, let yourself off the hook. You know, that that is... Uh, that is one important way to look at that the, in, in summation of, well, I made no mistakes and I still lost, so let myself off of the hook and move forward. And I think there may be a little bit of a, um, you know, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Um, Data did all he could and, right. you know, he, he, he made a good go of it. And we know that his, his little robot heart is in the right place, even, uh, even if he lost the game. But that's okay. It's all right. So, um, yeah, I say that all of those messages still hold up. Yeah. Yeah, I would too. Yes. Yay. <laughs> Two <laughs> right. in a row. Kind of exciting. Yeah. 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 Boy, it, it, you know, I feel like we're on this trajectory now. <laughs> yeah. Can the streak continue? Yeah. Yeah, uh, man. Three for three. That would uh, be great. Be like a, a hat trick to end season two. Yeah. But yeah, we have high hopes. Yeah. Well, and Yeah. We should let people know right. before we go, actually, and say what it is that uh, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, in case they didn't know. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Find out more at Roddenberry.com, and you can find out all kinds of stuff about Roddenberry and what they're into there as well. What did we talk about last week? We talked about the, uh, we talked about the Roddenberry Foundation, mm-hmm. which people can find. We talk often about the things that people can buy. It, 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 like from, from, from the altruistic to the all this can be yours. <laughs> to the to the blatantly commercial. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find it at Roddenberry.com. Look for their uh, Stormtrooper outfits because they <laughs> don't exist. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Ken, next week I've got a great feeling about this, that our streak will continue. It's Shades of Grey. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at k-i-theory.com. Am I wrong? Or did Data just treat Kolrami to a private little war? And Transmission.
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 